Justin Shears and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. As we all know, George Harrison had taken a long time to emerge from the lofty songwriting shadows of John Lennon and Paul McCartney, with only a handful of songs on Beatles albums so far, often due to a self-acknowledged lack of drive on his behalf. However, by the time of the Get Back sessions of January 1969, George was proving to be a more prolific writer of quality songs, the shunning of which by John and Paul had led to growing frustration and even a short stint quitting the band during those sessions. George confessed to John that he wanted to do an album of his own songs and he felt that he had enough to do it. But that idea would have to wait another year to come to superb fruition. We've been so used to Lennon McCartney compositions and of course, you know, people have been commenting this week about something and here comes the sun, which are your own compositions. How did, how did this all happen? It's so unusual for you to contribute so much to an LP. Well, not really. By the Beatles. I mean, the last album we did had four songs of mine on. And, um, you know, I thought they were all right. So, you know, I thought these something in Here Comes the Sun was okay. Probably maybe a bit more commercial, but as songs, not much better than the songs on the last album. Um, but I've been writing for a couple of years now and there's been lots of songs I've written which I haven't actually got round to recording. So, you know, in my own mind I don't see what the fuss is because I've heard these songs before and I wrote them, you know, quite a while back. And it's really nice that people like the songs, but... Um, you don't look upon yourself as a late developer as regards songwriting then, because it's sort of kind of hit everyone well, that way, you know. You know, late, early, you know, what's late and what's early. <laughs> but you, <laughs> you hadn't really got the reputation no, as no. yet as I mean, a songwriter, I had you? I wasn't Lennon or I wasn't McCartney. And, um, you know, I was me. And... Uh, the only reason I started to write songs was because I thought, well, if they can write them, I can write them. You know, because really, everybody can write songs if they, if they want to, if they have a desire to, and if they have sort of some musical knowledge and background. And then it's by writing them, the same as writing um, books or writing articles or painting, the more you do it, the, m the better or the more you can understand how to do it. And um, I used to just write songs, I still do, I just write a song and it just comes out however it, it wants to. 
and some of them are catchy songs like Here Comes the Sun and some of them aren't, you know, but to me there's just songs and I just write them and some will be considered as good by maybe the masses and some won't, but to me they're just songs, things that are there that have to be got out. And uh, I usually get, like, um, the first few lines of lyrics and uh, melody both at once. And then I finish the melody usually first and then have to write the words. Like, there's another song I wrote when we were in India about two years, 18 months ago, and I wrote it straight away. And the first verse I wrote just said everything I wanted to say like that. And then now I need to write a couple more verses and I find it much more difficult. Mm. But John gave me a handy tip <laughs> once, which is once you start to write a song, try and finish it straight away while you're in the mood. <clears throat> and I've That's learned from experience, yeah, because you go back to it and then you're in a whole different state of mind and it's more difficult. Sometimes it's easier, but on the whole, it's more difficult to come back to something. So I do now try and finish them straight away. George had brought two songs to the studio for the Abbey Road sessions. Something, the beautiful ballad about wife Patty, which had been started early in the album sessions, and another song, which captured perfectly George's feelings when given temporary reprieve from the daily business grind of what had of late consumed much of the Beatles' headspace. Finally, George was receiving some recognition from his senior songwriters. Here comes the sun, which is again another very catchy melodic song. Yeah, it reminds me of sort of Buddy Holly in a way. No. Yes, I see what you mean. It's, uh, it's mm-hmm. certainly that very strong melody line again. Is, is there any, um, I don't there is any reason for when people write songs, but it, it seems such a dramatic change for George. I don't know, you know. I mean, it's just the way he's progressing. He's writing all kinds of songs, you know. I mean, once the door opens, it, the floodgates open, you know. You can't sort of... It's an effort to concentrate on writing certain kinds of songs, you know. Like, I prefer writing just non-melodic, straight rock. But I can't help writing other things, you know. And I think that applies to all of us. Just the songs just come out, you know. This is a, the second one of George's tracks on the album. And we just went in one day and he said, I've got this little song called Here Comes the Sun. And we said, right, let's go. And we recorded it. <laughs> sort of nothing um, startling about the way we recorded this, you know. Right. George Harrison, I believe, has written quite a few songs in the past yes. few years, but there's only a few of them that have actually been recorded. Why is this? Well, it's usually whoever um, sort of pushes the hardest gets most songs, you know. And I think George was feeling at one time, uh, like I feel occasionally, that such great songs yeah. that, um, you know, you don't really like to fetch out your little song and say, how about this? <laughs> but, uh, that's all over now, and if I've got now, I pull them out, and if George has got me, he pulls them out, and we just do them all now, there's none of that. Here Comes the Sun is the other song that I wrote on the album, and uh, it was written on a nice sunny day this um, early summer in Eric Clapton's garden <laughs> because uh, we'd been through really hell with business and you know it's very heavy and on that day I just felt as though I was sagging off like from school it was like that I just didn't come in one day <laughs> and just the release of being in the sun and the, it was just really nice day 
and that I just that song just came. It, it's a bit like if I needed someone, and you know, like that basic sort of the riff going through it is the same as uh, you know all those bells of Rimney sort of bird type thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how I see it anyway. Mm. But quite a um, simple tune. <laughs> One of my best beginnings, huh? Ready?
recorded on the 7th of July 1969, which was also Ringo's 29th birthday, take nine of George's Here Comes the Sun. 13 takes of the backing track were recorded this evening, all of which featured George's acoustic guitar and guide vocal, Paul on bass, and of course, the birthday boy on drums. Take 13 was marked as best, and George immediately added another acoustic guitar track to bolster the first. Back in the studio the following day, the lead vocal was replaced, harmonies with Paul were added, and an electric guitar played by George through his favourite Leslie speaker was dropped in. reconstruction of Take 13 of Here Comes the Sun, as it would have sounded at the end of the 8th of July 1969. Reduction mixes were made, with the best being called Take 15. Work would continue on George's latest masterpiece in just over a week's time.
As George found out during the Get Back sessions, even though he was bringing almost a new song each day to the group, he sometimes struggled to even get those songs listened to by John or Paul. Many of their songs were automatically prioritised, and not necessarily always based on the quality of the songwriting. One, two, three, four. John was quizzical, studied back to physical science in the home. Late nights all alone with a test tube on. medicine, call there on the phone. Can I take you out to the pictures, John? But as she's getting ready to go, a knock comes on the door. Bang, bang, Maxwell Silver, and I came down upon her head. Bang, bang, Maxwell Silver, and I made sure that she was dead.
From Twickenham Studios on the 8th of January, Maxwell's Silver Hammer, Paul's latest narrative song, complete with a whistling solo and an anvil struck with, you guessed it, a hammer, bought and played specially by the ever-willing roadie Mal Evans. The reasoning behind the song, according to Paul, is that it epitomised the downfalls of life. Just when everything seems to be going smoothly, down comes Maxwell's silver hammer to ruin everything. Interestingly, John would explore the very same idea the following year with instant karma. The endless rehearsals during the Get Back sessions had not found the other Beatles warming to the song. And when John returned to the sessions on the 9th of July after his car accident, complete with a recuperating and pregnant Yoko wielding on a double bed onto the studio floor, he didn't take part in the fresh recording of Paul's number. Yeah, it's a typical McCartney sing-along or whatever you call them. Oh. He did quite a lot of work on it. I was uh, in... I was ill after the accident when they did most of that track. And I believe they really ground George and Ringo into the ground recording it, you know. But as the words are leaving 
between his lips I know it comes from behind Bang, bang, Maxwell Silver Hammer came down upon his head Bang, bang, Maxwell Silver Hammer made sure that he was dead Take five of Maxwell's Silver Hammer, recorded on the 9th of July 1969, featuring Paul on piano and vocals, Ringo on drums, and George back on his bass guitar. This take was initially marked as best, but more takes would be attempted later in the session. We heard earlier that John found the recording tedious, and he didn't even play on the track at this stage. George and Ringo also found the recording very hard going with a lot of studio time being devoted to it. Maxwell's Silver Hammer is, uh, is just something of Paul's, which he's been, we've been trying to record. We record, we spend a hell of a lot of time on it. And uh, it's one of those uh, instant sort of whistle-along tunes, which, I don't know, some people will hate and some people will really love it. Mm. You know, it's more like... Um, sort of honey honey pie, oh, yeah. you know, fun sort of song. But it's pretty sick as well, though, because the guy gets, keeps killing everybody. Yeah. It's one of Paul's songs, and it's his, you know, it's his happy go 1920 <laughs> Maxwell Silver Hammer. Something along the lines of Mark thing. Yes, Something that, piano. Yes, that's, yes, that's okay. And uh, this one was, like, I think the hardest track on the album to make. Yeah because we had a lot of trouble with this. I mean, this is the one we kept doing and putting it down and starting another one because it, it got so hard, just because, you know, some tracks you can really just get into right away and other tracks are just very, very hard, you know. Tell you what, do, do more sort of, don't, uh, you know, a bit. Yeah, it's just something a bit more, because it does sound a bit dead when you hear it, just does an intro. Again, Max will play the fool again. Teach. 
Good, you know, it had nice bits in it. But it'd be nice to have the nice bits and the other bits. And the bad bits. And the bad bits, yeah. <laughs> George Harrison is resting his arm. Let it be known unto the people. <laughs> Kick out the jam, Brothers and sisters! Take 12 of Maxwell's Silver Hammer. After abandoning the original best Take 5, the Beatles started fresh with the virtual remake called Take 11. Takes 6 to 10 did not exist. The backing track was finalised with Take 21, and before the session ended at a relatively respectable hour of 10.15pm, George had overdubbed various guitar parts. Work resumed on the 10th, again with no apparent involvement from John, guitar parts, backing vocals, organ played by George Martin, and of course, the anvil and hammer, this time played by Ringo, were added to take 21. A number of mixes were made of the song as it stood at the end of this session, including this one. John was quizzical, studied metaphysical science Door. 
washing to avoid an unpleasant scene. She tells Max to stay when the glass has gone away, so he waits behind. Writing 50 times, I must not be so. Uh oh, oh. But when she turns her back on the boy, it creeps up from behind. A dirty one, Maxwell stands alone, painting testimonial pictures. Oh, 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 oh. Rose and Valerie screaming from the gallery say he must go free. The judge does not agree and he tells them so. Oh, oh, oh. On the 11th of July, attention then turned back to the first of George's two songs, with a track which had begun way back in mid-April, only to be remade from scratch in early May, and then shelved until now. Something is a song of mine I wrote towards the end of um, the Beatles album, you know, the White album. I wrote it as we were still recording that album, but I never finished it off. I could never think of words for it. Well, let's get one now, eh? Do you want me to do that double bit, George? I can do it. Back in May, the song had been left at take 36, featuring George on electric guitar, Ringo on drums, Paul on bass guitar, and John on piano. Billy Preston had added some subtle Lowry organ before Paul re recorded his busy bass line, and George added his iconic lead guitar solo. Fast forward to the 11th of July, and the eight-track tape was now full, with Take 36 requiring a reduction mix to a fresh tape called Take 37 before more overdubs could be applied. Eight-track to eight-track something, Take 37. She moves 
attracts me like no other lover Something in the way she woos me I don't want to leave her now You know I believe in how
take 37 of something, complete with a rambling instrumental coda led by John on piano, extending the track to just over five and a half minutes. Of course, this ending, which clearly seemed like a good idea at the time, would be edited out of the track before release. John would recycle the piano riff the following year for the song Remember from his debut solo album, Plastic Ono Band. The 17th of July saw some finishing touches added to Ringo's Octopus's Garden, including some charming backing vocals from George and Paul, treated to some limiting and compression used to give a gargling effect, and sound effects courtesy of Ringo blowing bubbles into a glass of water similar to Yellow Submarine three years earlier. Ringo's lead vocal would be re-recorded the following day, and the results were nothing short of delightful. He'd let us in, knows where we've been, in his octopus's garden, in the shade. Shout and swim about the coral that lies beneath the waves. Oh, what joy for every girl and boy, knowing they're happy and they're safe. An isolation mix of Octopus's Garden. Just like Yellow Submarine, it would become a kid's favourite, and a favourite of quite a few big kids as well, for decades to come. Next cab off the rank was the song which would eventually open the album, 
and one which led a somewhat troubled existence, as John explains in this 1970 interview. The Learys wanted me to write them a, a, a campaign song, and their slogan was, Come Together. And, uh, and you do write I wrote it, I've still got it. It's actually very like the Kinks drive, you know, some song of theirs. But anyway, I wrote Come Together. But before I wrote their song, uh, I was writing in the office, just sort of... I can't say this because we're going we're gonna to get sued because it's silly. But I was writing this, um, like, you can't catch me, you know, the same rhythm, and using the old words. I often do it, you know, like, see, I'm, if I'm trying to write one light, long, tall Sally, or I'm just singing, I'm going... Oh, I'll do a dummy fit. No, go and tell one Mary and just make up, change paradise the words. I was doing that, and then when I got, I stopped and then said, just came out, come together, because come together was rolling around in my head. Right now, over me, not over me, it was meant to be like a joke, like over me, like Elvis mm-hmm. used to, over you. But people arrived in London saying, you said come together over me, and I'm here. <laughs> you know, and I thought, oh, well, um, so that was like that. And then I never put the other, the other one went, Come together and join the party. Come together and join the party. You know, for Leary, like give peace a chance, chant along for it. Leary doesn't know, but we should send that. Yeah, I know, but it's so, I never get around to it. So I never did it and I end up writing Come Together instead. And and they're suing me because it's like you can't catch me, you know, for the first half a line or something. Because Chuck Berry's words went. Something like that, you know. But anyway, it's not him that's serving, it's his people. So you have to not put that in because they'll say, oh, well, there's a, he's admitted it, you know. Yes. And I think it's a compliment to Chuck Berry, not a fucking... <laughs> I mean, we resurrected him. It was one of the last ones to be recorded, one of John's songs. You know, John was in an accident, so he was off for a period of time. And then when he got back, we, which was only a week or so before we finished the album, we did this one. So I think he wrote it only a month or so ago so it's very new and uh it's, it's sort of 12 bar type of tune and uh just it's very it's one of the nicest sounds we've got actually nice drumming from ringo and it's sort of a up tempo so as you call it a rocker rocker beat a boogie mm. with very lennon lyrics as well mm. Stop it, you disgusting middle-aged squares. One, two, one, two, three, four.
Take one of Come Together, the song whose opening line John had quietly borrowed from his teenage hero Chuck Berry's driving hit You Can't Catch Me. Once Berry's people realised where John's line had come from, they began legal proceedings to recoup some cash from the sales of Come Together. In response, John negotiated a deal where he would record an album of rock and roll golden oldies, including You Can't Catch Me and some other Chuck Berry songs and Berry would enjoy the royalties which would continue to flow from the sales of the album over time. Berry's lawyers agreed, and John's 1975 rock and roll album was born. Regardless of this dilemma, John maintained his admiration for Berry, performing live with him on the Jack Douglas show in 1972, a moment which John clearly cherished. He shut his eyes and came out on where no shut balls. Don't worry if you don't get the ball. Okay, sorry. Yes. I get very involved, you know. One, two, a one, two, three, four.
Miss Duckers. Yes. A man like him would have it. He's got teenage lyrics. He's got heart rod baldy. Oh, I'm losing my cool. Take five of the eight attempts at the basic track for Come Together, featuring Ringo, Paul and George on their traditional instruments, and John adding vocals and hand claps and occasionally tapping a tambourine. Take six would be chosen for the master, with several overdubs to be added in the coming days. John was clearly back with a vengeance. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next time when a diverse range of songs are captured on tape as the Abbey Road sessions continue. Until next time. Cause it's